Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Milk and Meat. I'm going to be interviewing my friend Jocelyn. She is the owner of Milk and Faith. She is a doula and a lactation educator. She's a wife to her amazing husband Robert and a mom to her beautiful boy named Liam. It was her birth and mothering experiences that have created a passion within her to help other mothers grow in their journeys. And her goal in working with mothers is to be able to give every woman the birth that they deserve the breastfeeding experiences that they want, she's a lactation educator, and the baby-wearing education they desire while also helping them grow spiritually. So she wants to use this avenue of supporting mothers to also help them grow spiritually. I am excited to be able to share the gold that Jocelyn is going to share with you in today's interview, and I cannot wait for you to walk away with something tangible in your newness of motherhood, if that's who you are. And if not, you can use this as a resource to share with others in their journeys of motherhood. Welcome to Milk and Meat, a podcast about the Bible, food, and motherhood. I'm your host, Nina Marie, and I'm very excited for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you're able to gain added skills and tools that you need in order to take control of your health, the health of your family, to eat delicious food that nourishes you, and that you may be conformed to the image of Christ. Let's dig in. Thank you, Nina, for having me on the podcast. My name is Jocelyn. I am the owner of Milk and Faith. I am a wife and mother to my 19-month-old who is still breastfeeding. I also, yes, <laughs> he is a little booby monster, and I don't think he's <laughs> going to stop anytime soon. Um, I am a breastfeeding educator and a birth doula and baby-wearing educator. Wow. So how long have you been in the, like, birth world space? Since, um, hmm. I'd say I started school at the end of June of 2020, so last year, so almost a year, Um, and it was all because of having my son. That really opened my eyes to the birth world. He's your only child? Yes. And then how, what was your life before that? Did you ever imagine yourself in this space? Not at all. I had no idea. that I was even going to breastfeed. I thought it was gross and weird. I didn't grow up with it. Yeah. My, my mom kind of always said it was really gross and that you should formula feed. And I just kind of went with it and then got pregnant with my son and learned more about it and realized that it was something that was best for him. And I wanted to give it a shot despite everybody telling me there's no way you're going to make enough milk. And here we are 19 months later, and he has never had a drop of formula. Wow. So tell me about that, like transition from ill, this is gross to this is the best thing ever. How could I not? Yeah. So I, when I was pregnant with him, I was just doing a ton of research and everything. And so of course, breastfeeding came up and I really got to learn that breast milk changes and then it's really the best for your baby. And it's also cost efficient. And my husband and I got married pretty young and I wasn't working. I was just throwing up my whole pregnancy. So he was supporting us in a not great job. And I also wanted to help financially. So that was a huge motivator. And 
And being in the hospital, um, I didn't get much help and left with cracked and bleeding nipples. And I learned that that wasn't okay after doing some more research and being determined that I will breastfeed my son. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just learned that it was something that was really good for him. All of the antibodies and everything that was really great. And that I could provide something from my body to sustain my son's life. That to me was just amazing. Absolutely. I'm super curious. How do you manage the emotional or like balance the emotions of, oh, my nipples are bleeding and cracked and this is terrible with, no, I want to keep going. It was really, really hard. Um, There was definitely times I wanted to quit. Uh, We actually, so I had my son and then three days later we brought him home and he was home for less than 24 hours and we ended up back in the hospital and in the NICU with him because his temperature was too low. And that is when they um, told me, oh, you're probably going to have to supplement him. And I was breaking down in tears. I said, you will not give him a bottle. I will stay Aww. here. I slept in the other room or in the chair for three days. I breastfed him around the clock. And they finally brought an LC in and who was like, um, he's not latching right. Let's let's fix this. And her work that she did with me is what really changed my breastfeeding. If I had kept having the bleeding and cracked nipples and the poor latching, I would not have continued. Her intervention kept me going. And she's the reason I kept going because if I had gone home and continued with the bleeding nipples and the cringy pain that I had, I would not have kept going. I remember that pain. Oh man. Like, can you, being a breastfeeding educator, can you talk a little bit about what an improper latch looks like and how to determine that it's improper and then what to look for to know that it is a good latch? Yeah. So, um, being a first time mom, I had never seen anyone breastfeed. So it was really, um, hard for me to know what it was supposed to look like. And now being a breastfeeding educator, I realized that my son was too far away from me. He was not close enough his mouth was not open wide enough. It was very small. And I was just latching my nipple. I was nipple feeding and not breastfeeding with him. That's my favorite descriptive term to you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I was just nipple feeding him. So he was actually grinding my nipple into like flattening it like a quarter. Um, so now I realize that his chin needs to be in towards my breast. His mouth needs to be open. He needs to be belly to belly with me. Um, My nipple needs to be pointing at the roof of his mouth and in the back and the soft palate and not the hard palate um, because the hard palate will pinch and that's when you get the pinchy horrible pain. But I had no idea how much breast you actually had to put into a baby's mouth. I just assumed it was all nipple feeding. So there's like a lot of different cues now that I know that could have helped me when I first had my son. Right, right. Could you uh, describe the difference between the hard and soft palate? What does that mean? Yeah, so you actually have um, basically like two parts of your mouth. So you have, when you run your tongue at the top of your roof of your mouth, you're gonna feel like a hard space. So that hard space is your hard palate. And then if you you can kind of feel in the back, it gets soft. So you don't want your nipple on the hard part because that will pinch. So you want it in the back. So it actually goes farther back than I think most people realize. Your nipple goes much farther back there. So you're actually passing the hard part and you are actually having your nipple in the back. So it's not doing any pinching. 
If you slide your tongue from hard to soft, it almost feels like your breast is going into the back of baby's throat, like yeah, way back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, there's a really great video. Um, it's free on YouTube and their website. It's a global health media mm-hmm. called Attaching Your Baby to Your Breast. And they have an amazing visual on showing you where your nipple is versus the hard palate and the soft palate. Super cool. I might add that in the show notes. That's a great link. Um, so switching gears from hard palate and latch and whatnot, can women with smaller breasts breastfeed? And if they can, because they have smaller breasts, are they going to produce less milk? So women with smaller breasts absolutely can breastfeed. So breast size actually doesn't really have much to do with how much milk you produce. Someone with smaller breasts can actually produce more milk than someone with larger breasts. It's about capacity and how many milk ducts you have and not by size. So everyone thinks, oh, you've got big boobs. You must have a lot of milk, but that's actually not true. Someone like my sister, for example, has rather small chest. She could potentially make more than milk than I have. It's all about milk capacity and the way that you are built and not physically, but like internally. Does that make sense? (laughs) I heard that the milk ducts are something that are like laid in puberty um, as a young woman is transitioning or a girl is transitioning into womanhood, that that whole hormonal thing is something that plays a role into how many milk ducts are um, produced in a woman's breast because of all of the like hormones, estrogen, progesterone, et cetera, Mm -hmm. that are now being produced at more levels will then create more milk ducts in some women versus others. And so in that sense, so it's because it's tied to puberty, it's not necessarily tied to breast size is what I've heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your hormones play a huge role, way more than breast size and how many milk ducts you make. And actually fun fact, the more pregnancies you have, the more milk ducts you will actually make. So your body is will keep going, which is why it's more likely on your second pregnancy that you can have an oversupply. Um, And there is some evidence that shows because of the food that we eat, uh, the hormones that are given to um, the animals that we eat can affect how many milk ducts we make as a a child going through puberty, because we're given kind of too many hormones. So it can cause other issues in the future. Um, Some more studies are kind of coming out with that information lately. That is super cool. Um, so if it doesn't matter how big my breasts are, how long should I be breastfeeding at each session? Does Do I need a set time that I should make sure I'm, I have my baby latched to my breast? So I don't like to set timers. So I always tell my clients, um, watch baby, not the clock. Watch for proper feeding skills. If they're suck, swallow, great, suck, swallow, great. If they're actually actively feeding because- Comfort nursing, which is a very valid form of breastfeeding, isn't when they're actually eating. So some babies will hang out at the breast for a really long time and have only, they they ate the first five minutes and they're just hanging out. And if you need to do something, great time to unlatch. But if in the beginning, you just don't know how long a baby's going to take. And they get more efficient as baby gets older. But in the beginning, it can be really stressful. I always tell my clients, like, don't add another thing to your plate by having to track feedings. Um, pay attention to if they're eating, if they're eating and their diaper output's great. 
your choice on whether or not they stay on your breast and comfort nurse. But we want to make sure they're really having a good rhythm and not just doing nothing and not transferring any milk because that's a totally different issue. Fun fact, with my firstborn, I tracked absolutely everything for at least six months. I'm not joking. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like every diaper, every feeding. And then I remember one night like, why am I still tracking all of this? And I just deleted the app. It was, it was mm-hmm. insane. And I tell parents, I was like, really? Maybe the first couple of weeks, the tracking can be helpful. Mm-hmm. But after that, when babies gain their weight back, weight back, like just ditch it. It's, it becomes, mm-hmm. becomes a, a crutch in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it's, it can get really stressful for moms if they are, if they hear people say like, they shouldn't be feeding for more than 15 minutes per breast. Well, babies are like adults. We sometimes we snack, sometimes we have meals and forcing your baby to stay on. Or if your baby is not ready, it can be really stressful for both of you. And I've also noticed um, working with some moms when baby becomes more efficient and they're not nursing for as long, they can think like something's wrong. Maybe I'm not producing enough milk and Mm -hmm. it's only five minutes now and it used to be 10 or whatever it might be. And and so that's Mm -hmm. why I think understanding the like hunger cues and satisfactory satiation cues are really Mm -hmm. important. Could you talk a little bit about that? What are some hunger cues or what are some cues of that a baby satiated? Yeah. So um, if baby is hungry, they're, especially when they're newborns, they can smack their lips, turn their head side to side, different things like that. So um, crying is a late hunger cue. So you want to try latching baby on sooner rather than later. Even if you're not entirely positive, if they latch on and eat, great. If they don't and they don't want to have the breast, that's cool too. But you don't want to, you want to try to avoid letting them cry because then it's really hard to latch them. pick makes you panic, baby's panicking, and now you're trying to latch and it becomes like this fight. So you want to try and keep, have a feed a calm baby. And then when baby's full, they will either pull off their sucks, their sucks while breathe will completely change. Mm-hmm. And as you get more, um, experience, you'll notice when their latch completely changes. It feels different. They slow down. They're taking longer breaths and longer pauses. They, um, their actual swallow pattern changes and you kind of pick up on that as the longer you're breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. but most babies will either fall asleep. Um, with the exception of really newborns, they'll fall asleep even if they're hungry. Um, but an older baby will just fall asleep come off, be interested in something else. My 19 month old just pushes me away and pulls my shirt down. So, <laughs> so oh, man. different things. Yeah. <laughs> my daughter, my third child was the one that I breastfed the longest. And she was definitely the one that I, I breastfed her till a month or two after she turned two. Mm. And she would just like come up to me and try to my shirt down and that's when I was like you know what you know my body needs to be honored here okay Mm -hmm. let's let's work on this yes we are in the same position he comes over and tries to yank my shirt down and we're working on our manners and asking for (laughs) milk please he signs a lot right now so we're working on that a little bit of a transition from when he is a newborn so (laughs) it's so wonderful having a person who can almost communicate. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, how do, does a mom know if she is producing enough milk or if her baby's getting enough milk? 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is like a huge question we get all the time. There is this huge perceived misconception that I, you don't, you're not making enough milk there. You see Instagram moms who are pumping like 10 ounces in five minutes and they have these giant freezer stashes and it makes moms, including myself in the beginning, feel really inadequate. And like, Mm -hmm. we are not making enough milk. And Mm -hmm. that is just simply not true. So I like to go by diaper output Mm -hmm. um, because baby being satisfied in our terms, isn't exactly, um, like the real satisfaction there's cluster feeding which is super normal growth spurts leaps those will all affect how often they feed so if their diaper output is consistent they've got a lot of wet diapers they've got a lot of dirty diapers they're doing well they're Mm -hmm. being fed and weight gain is another thing um if we if baby is gaining weight consistently that's usually a pretty good sign that you're producing enough milk Mm -hmm. now some breastfed babies gain slower than others. And they're not going to gain the same way as a formula fed baby who's mm-hmm. having a consistent bottle every time, because again, babies snack or they have meals. So mm-hmm. it's a com- so we can't go by the formula fed standard. Mm-hmm. So for example, my son, slow gainer in the um, formula fed world, mm-hmm. perfectly healthy, never had to supplement him. And yet he was considered a slow gainer. My friend's baby, who um, she completely breastfed, 99 percentile, he's a little chunk, <laughs> that was never had formula that. either. So <laughs> they're both two very healthy babies. So we try and go by, we can look at weight patterns. We don't want them to lose weight. If they're losing weight, that's a completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Slow weight gain is different from losing weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to pay attention to diaper output. And then if we're and pumping, so. yeah, and if we're pumping, we're not looking for five to 10 ounces at a time. Mm -hmm. If you are pumping on top of a feeding, you're looking for an average of half an ounce to two ounces, both breasts combined. Half an ounce. Yeah. You can just make as little, it's plenty, but make as little as a half an ounce, both breasts combined. And I feel like that is so, what's the word? Like that lifts a burden. Yes. Right. Yes. I always tell my moms, I'm like, okay, you just fed 10 minutes ago and you got half an ounce. That's an amazing supply. That's great. Baby's got all these positive signs and now you've got an extra half an ounce. Great. That is perfect. That is, that is great. Put that away. You don't, you don't have to make these Instagram (laughs) freezer stashes. And then if you're replacing a feeding, we're looking for about two to four ounces, both breasts combined. So we're not looking for a large volume of milk and your pump is not as efficient as baby. Baby will always be way more efficient than a pump. So we're not looking for these giant outputs that we see online. Now, pumping is a tricky beast in itself because again, you don't get the same volume as baby's getting. Baby's way better than a pump. And also your prolactin levels are different during the day than they are at night. So you'll get more milk at night than you will during the day. So it's kind of averaging out. Um, This is where I like to tell my moms that are going back to work to work with somebody because it's super important to kind of like know when you should pump, what Mm -hmm. you should be looking for. One time I might get one ounce, one time I might get four ounces and it kind of, and it averages out. So we just, we have to not panic and kind of set our expectations to be real expectations and not Instagram expectations. So what I hear you saying is that it is 
absolutely normal and fine for one pumping session to produce less than another? Yes. Yes. So what is the average if I'm pumping all day long? Mm-hmm. So what, what should my total be for the day? Yeah. So if you're exclusively pumping and you're not overproducing milk, you're producing the perfect amount. We look at something for like an, an ounce to an ounce and a half on the high side per hour. So you're like 32 ounces during the day. If you're pumping around the clock, mm-hmm. that's really all, that's like the max you technically need for baby. You don't need 50, 60 ounces a day, and you've only pumped three times. That's crazy. (laughs) So we're looking at an ounce to an ounce and a half per hour is what we're looking at with pace feeding. Have you ever encountered a mom who was exclusively pumping and then um, a few months in or she returns to work or maybe nothing has changed and all of a sudden she's not producing as much milk as before? If Mm -hmm. you have, how would you counsel her? Yeah, so there are a lot of different reasons why your milk supply can regulate in that way. So your milk supply regulates at different times. So you're you're always constantly changing. So um, when you're exclusively pumping, it's slightly different from when you're exclusively nursing. Um, it could be a return of her period, um, if she's pregnant, hormone changes, stress levels. So there could be a lot of different reasons why her milk supply could be different than even a week ago. So we just, we try to look at the overall picture and not jump to conclusions that, oh my gosh, you're not producing enough milk and you're never going to be able to feed your baby. We don't want to go there because most of the time it's just something simple, like you're getting your period back. Mm -hmm. And we work through that and we, we do different things. We can power pump if we need to, um, changing our pump. Cause sometimes our bodies regulate to the kind of pump we're using or the certain setting we're using. Let's change up the setting. Because again, baby suck pattern is relatively the same, but different. They use their tongue differently. They use their palate differently. It stimulates the breast differently each time. Mm-hmm. So a pump is very much repetitive. So just like when you're working out, you can only do the same thing so many times before your body's like, yeah, this is boring. I'm not going to lose any more weight doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same thing. So some moms respond better to one pump than another and one setting than another. And sometimes we have to change. And the same thing with phalange sizing, which is super important. Our bodies are constantly changing while we're lactating. And so sometimes we need to change a flange size because we've either gone up or down a size and that can affect pump output significantly. That's a great point. I've also... Um reminded moms don't forget to change your membranes like yeah sometimes it's just mm-hmm. the membrane of your pump yeah to be yeah sometimes it has nothing to do with you it has everything to do with your pump the flange size is different you need to change your membranes your tubing got weird mm-hmm. you need to change the valves there's there are pieces the duck bills there's pieces that just go bad after a while especially How if you're exclusively you pumping yeah like if this is the third baby and you've had it since baby number one you might need a new pump yeah, like sometimes the battery just goes, the motor just goes. We, so there's there are things that it could be nothing to do with you. You could be doing everything right, and your pump is the one that's like, yeah, peace out. <laughs> <laughs> with that, do you have a favorite pump? I personally like the Spectra. <laughs> Again, everybody's going to respond differently, so I want to make sure that everybody knows that what worked for me is not going to work for everybody. Some, I had one mom who could not do electric pumps at all. She could only have a manual pump. 
she would not get a drop of milk in the electrical pumps. And that's just the way her body was. Um, I personally started out with the Medela InStyle. Um, that was what my insurance gave me. It was fine. Um, and then I heard great things about the Spectra and I got the Spectra and was like, I liked it more. My body responded better. I liked the different settings. So my personal favorite is the Spectra S1, which is the blue one so that I can walk around. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a few more questions for you before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. When is it a good time for a, a mom to begin to consider weaning? Mm-hmm. So with weaning, it's very much a personal choice and it kind of, so there's two people in the relationship. There's you and there's baby. So you kind of, sometimes mom has done more before baby is, mm-hmm. and we kind of have to work on my, my, so the, the, the guidelines are to exclusively breastfeed without solids until at least six months. And then to continue, depending on who you're talking to and what organization for at least 12 months to two years. Mm-hmm. It is still breastfeeding past one year. The nutrition, nutritional value, everything about breast milk does not change after one. It's not, it just doesn't suddenly disappear. Mm-hmm. So if mom wants to breastfeed past one and then wean at 13 months, two years, three years, four, what that is totally up to them. Um, if you wean before 12 months, you will have to supplement because they still need that extra calories, those extra nutrients, um, that solid food would not provide for them before that. So if you're weaning before then, um, we'll have a conversation with your doctor, talk to an LC, let's figure out how you can still make sure baby's on track because we don't want to lose that for baby. If you're after 12 months, whatever you're comfortable with, whatever baby's comfortable with, you can decide that. And it's completely normal. It's not, I hate the term extended breastfeeding because it's just breastfeeding. You're just, you're just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Extended (laughs) breastfeeding is a term or they're still breastfeeding. Yes. They're still breastfeeding because it's breastfeeding. (laughs) It doesn't lose power. There's no magical drain as soon as baby turns one. So keep going. I think it's amazing and it should be more recognized. You know, I, (laughs) this is funny. You had mentioned like sometimes moms are done before baby. Mm -hmm. And my daughter, before she was two, I think when she was like one and a half, like 18, 19 months, I hit a point where I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I began to wean her, Mm -hmm. but I, began to wean her literally the day before or two days before I started my um certified lactation educator training Mm -hmm. and when I started the training and was reminded about all of the amazingness that is breast milk I came back home I was like nope not ready (laughs) yeah so there are so many benefits to breastfeeding a toddler they develop amazing eyesight their brains are constantly changing and that breast milk really helps everything that's in it is so amazing for before they're one and well after they're one yeah um I remember thinking too because this was June 2020 and I'm sorry January 2020 and my um and then like two months later like the whole world closes because of COVID and I was like what if I have like 
stopped breastfeeding, she wouldn't be getting extra antibodies and, immune mm-hmm. and whatnot. So that was really helpful too. Yeah. Um, my last couple questions here. Is there a time that is best to introduce a bottle? Can it be mm-hmm. too late or too early? So there's um, a lot of factors that go into when to introduce a bottle. Um, a lot of moms, if especially if they're going back to work, there's like they there's like this time crunch. They feel like they have to get the bottle in. Um, I like for my moms that are going back to work exactly at six weeks, because you know, United States healthcare. Um, (laughs) If they are going back to work exactly at six weeks, I try to start doing a little bit of bottle work around three weeks only because it's really going to help mom's anxiety to know that baby's taking a bottle. And if there's an underlying issue, like a tie that we don't know about that can affect um, latching onto a bottle and how they suck on a bottle. Right. So um, if my mom is going back to work at six weeks, we try around three weeks. If they're not going back till later, I try to kind of, I'm, it depends on mom's comfort level. They can do it once in a while. Um, I suggest practicing um, some advance if you want to make sure the baby's doing it. My son never took a bottle, but I found out later that it, he has a lip tie and would reject a pacifier in a bottle because he couldn't latch onto them. So there could be underlying issues. So it, it's not it's not a bad thing to introduce early, but it's also I don't recommend introducing at least within two weeks because it's super important to establish that breastfeeding and to make sure that that's going well before we add extra elements into the picture. And that's why I'd like to try and get like tongue ties and lip ties and other um, oral function issues addressed as soon as possible. Thank you. So with that, is there any one thing that you would tell a mom if she was considering breastfeeding Mm-hmm. what she should think about, consider, et cetera. Um, definitely consider working with somebody. There is just so much to know about breastfeeding. And unfortunately, like even our pediatricians don't have a great education on breastfeeding. So having somebody that really has a good foundation in breastfeeding, just to help you and ask those simple questions of, should this hurt? When can I drink alcohol? Does this look normal? why is this happening though? Even those simple questions that you just want to like shoot a text off to somebody is great. Then, then you can compare to Googling it. Like if you Google it, you get a million one answers. Or if you ask your pediatrician who is not trained in lactation and they don't know, and they give you the wrong answer. And then now you feel like you need to supplement and you're panicking. So just like having somebody mm-hmm. that really knows about lactation can change everything for you and to keep you going just because like even just somebody this to encourage you during the whole process, I think it's just super important. Thank you so much. I still have a ton of questions. So I'm definitely going to have you back again. Um, where can moms find you? Email, website, any of those things? Yeah. So um, my website is milkandfaith.com. I'm also on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook all under milk and faith. I tried to keep everything (laughs) together. Branding. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Jocelyn. I really appreciate your time today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. No problem.